we have to have compassion and understand how hard things are and not just label somebody and reject you know reject them that way but we need to look at you know all of it together so here we come back to what people feel and i want to say this that the supposition that gender identity is innate and kind of a fixed property aside or independent of biological sex is not supported what we're seeing in society as well is you know for example in, in the education system itself um, a lot of teachers they're not even being taught to be teachers they're being taught to be activists it is devastating to not be recognized and i want to say two things one is you know part of the rise in numbers is also about the increase of social acceptance Welcome to Both Sides Now Table Talk, and we're happy that you've joined us. We've got some amazing guests today. We're going to be talking about sex education in the school systems, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strong topic. It's an important topic. If we're going to teach sex ed, um, an extreme, you know, in all aspects of educational system, we need to be honest and we need to be truthful. And, you know, it's loving and kind to be truthful. So we need to be telling children that even though you feel this way right now, they may feel like they um, are lesbian or vice versa or something like that, that statistically heterosexuality um, and the feeling of male and female and aligned biologically for, you know, 99.9% of the population. And gender identity is, is flexible. It changes over time, especially for children. And even with same-sex attraction, that changes over time, the whole aspect of fluidity. So we need to not lock children into believing that just because they have a thought or feeling, that is going to be who they are or what what they become or we have to be careful with all of that but there's a rise in the number of children identifying as trans in this generation as opposed to previous generations why do you think that's happening when we talk about trans particularly it has grown um astronomically and i think you know according to the diagnostic and statistical manual which is the psychological Bible, so to speak, in 2013, which was the last time it was produced and it's due to come out again, there were only 0 0.005 to 0.014% of natal males, that's boys, that actually had gender dysphoria. We don't even talk about gender dysphoria anymore, but that's what we need to be talking about instead of this trans, which is a trans trajectory, so to speak. And it was only 0.00032% of girls that identified, not, not identified, we've got that mind, that were diagnosed. And it is a diagnosable uh, condition. So things have gotten skewed here because the lines have become very blurred and so for children teaching on all of these things is really confusing when such a small percentage of the population actually was diagnosed what we're seeing now is this rise exponential rise in those who are uh, considered uh, self-diagnosing 
or being diagnosed by teachers and others as um, transgender just because, you know, something they exhibit or, uh, you know, all of those things. But there's several reasons that that's happening. We have to be honest with kids. This is very rare. This is very rare. That's not what's being taught. What we're ta being taught um, is the gender unicorn, and you can be, and you might be, and that you should question if you're actually a girl. And I don't believe that should be happening. I strongly, strongly object to seeing trance as a um, disorder. Um, the World Health Organization has declassified it. It's still in the DSFM. The World Health Organization has declassified it as a disorder. Uh, Britain, France, and Denmark have all declassified um, it as a disorder. It's not a mental illness. Being trans is an, it's not a mental illness. And I, ref and I feel very, very strongly that this is um, putting a stigma, re-stigmatizing people, talking about an identity as something that's wrong with them that they could be treated for. So I have a real problem with with, with that kind of language and, and we're seeing trance as something that is that is a mental illness and many people are starting to to see that and to understand that and as I said large numbers of, of people or different countries are starting to, to see that and not classified as, as a disorder. What we're seeing in society as well is you know for example in, in the education system itself um, a lot of teachers, they're not even being taught to be teachers, they're being taught to be activists. And you're seeing in the schools right now, probably, you know, there's ignorance where there's a strong agenda, you know, pushing, you know, I don't hear that from you, Dr. Horowitz. I don't hear you saying, you know, drive it down some kid's throat and make them feel horrible. But there is that going on because people are saying, we have to push this in there. We have to for the sake of the people that have been oppressed. And without a clear understanding as to both sides, like you, you know, you have to hear that. And I think what you're saying is that, you know, again, we're getting reports of five-year-old children having um, their parents taking them in for a sex change at five years old developmentally, or, uh, you know, a 13-year-old girl having her breasts removed. So the whole, the whole movement is confusion. And even around the sensitivity, like when you move into teens, peer pressure and wanting to belong. And this is what we're dealing with. And I'm not sure how you know, how that gets controlled if you bring in a curriculum and, and some teachers definitely are pretty strong activists. There's a spectrum, just as there is with everything. There are children who at five years old know that they're in the wrong body. And there are some children who don't, who might feel it now and, and might change. It, it's complicated. We can't deny the rights of those children who, who know um, because we fear, we fear others. And I think I'm not a psychologist. I don't know when when it, it's appropriate, to, and I'm not a medical doctor. When it's appropriate to start hormone therapy, I'm not, I'm I am not going to ever suggest when it's appropriate to have gender affirming surgery. I, I, it, that's not in my in my realm. What I know is that there are young children who know, and there are young children who go through phases, I, I, and so. I think the question is more, how do we differentiate between that rather than saying it doesn't exist? It does exist. And the question is, how do we keep everybody safe, both those children who know and the children who might just be going through a phase? It is very, very hurtful when people often say to queer people, it's just a phase. For some people, it might be. And there are many people who identify differently along the spectrum. But for some of us, when somebody turns around and says, uh, you're a lesbian and it's just a phase that fundamentally devalues who I am 
and there are people who for, for whom it is it is a phase and who move through different phases of their lives and happily move from one to the other and, and that's great that is absolutely fine but don't devalue my my experience uh, and, and who I am and who people who, who know for whom it's not a phase. And I like that you said, you know, you talked about, you know, safety for all, because that's kind of where it's at right now with sex ed curriculum. What's being proposed right now doesn't appear to be safe for all. It doesn't appear to um, consider those other variables. You know, Dr. Horowitz, you say it, it's not fair. They should have support and they should be able to feel normal and they should be able to feel loved and accepted. Um, and then the other side says, but is that at the expense of everybody else having to go through that curriculum for that one child when it actually is causing confusion for other children and it's actually causing others to be distressed? We don't want either child to be distressed, <laughs> you know. But also, I, I, I think, too, maybe let's, let's ask this question. What is gender dysphoria? Well, it's the feeling that uh, one's emotional and psychological identity as male and female is opposite to one's biological sex. So it's a feeling. So here we come back to what people feel. And I want to say this, that the supposition that gender identity is innate and kind of a fixed property aside or independent of biological sex is not supported by scientific evidence. And so um, gender dysphoria is a designation. We have a whole language issue in our society, in our culture. And gender um, identity disorder, which gender dysphoria was previously, uh, and it was a mental illness, gender dysphoria was a mental illness, and actually it is still in the DSM as a mental illness. The World Health Organization has uh, been suggesting and saying we need to um, not say it's a mental illness, but I want to say that there are strong contributors and that children and um, many of those who are now classifying themselves as transgender, it's not about disrespecting them as a human being, but we need to tell the truth about these girls who particularly are overrepresented with severe adolescent uh, developmental disorders that are at the same time happening with these thoughts that they're in the wrong body. And there's, I mean, incredible depression, anxiety disorders, self-harming. And people say, well, that's because you're trans. Well, no, those were already pre-existing. And they're negating that reality. The other thing is that these children, many of these young girls particularly, are very... Um, susceptible because they're on the autism spectrum. So kind of between 20 and 30% of these who are now saying, I feel like I'm in the wrong body, is uh, they are actually autistic or on some level on that spectrum. We need to look at the mental health of these children and mental health in our children is absolutely critical because it is right now uh, actually a huge issue I think we can all agree that there's mental illness in every sphere of society to some extent. If studies are showing some of this, that might be also the case. And I think what you're saying, Dr. 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 Gillies, is that you don't want to push um, education, telling somebody it's all normal when perhaps there's areas of their lives that 
actually need some healing in their lives. And you're, you know, so a child, for example, might go and get reassigned surgery, or they might, you know, they're being told that's because you're trans, when in fact, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but, but there is something else going on. And that, that those areas are not getting treated. Children are literally being pushed into transitioning. And that's happening within the school, within uh, for doctors and psychologists, psychiatrists, and I have great, a great exception with that because we need to look at what is in the best interest of the child. And are we really um, doing the right thing by these children? And remember that honestly, uh, and this is truthful, up until about 2006, this percentage of the population was very, very minute. And so the growth now is, is kind of over the top. And I think lots of uh, professionals, uh, psychologists particularly, are going, wait a minute, we have a problem here and, and we need to listen to them. People can be queer and have mental illness. People can be black and have mental illness. People can be indigenous and have mental illness. People can be homosexual or heterosexual and have mental illness. That's society. People have comorbidities. People have comorbidities. People can be queer and, and have diabetes. People can be straight and have diabetes. These are comorbidities. What the problem is, is when you diagnose until 1974, being homosexual was seen as a mental illness. Society has agreed now that homosexuality is not a mental illness. So what I'm saying is, of course, you can have, be trans and have a mental illness. Of course, you can be queer and have a mental illness. My problem is when you see my transness or my queerness as a mental illness. That's where I put my foot down and will not engage in a conversation. My, my identity is not a mental illness. Can I have my identity and have a mental illness? Absolutely. Well, do they affect each other? Absolutely. The same way as, as my diabetes would affect me if I was straight or, or queer. Of course, these things talk to each other. Of course they do. The point is that my gender preference, my way of life is not a mental illness. Full stop, end of story. You know, the point I think that I'm hearing is that, again, you're saying don't label my trans as being mental illness. The greater concern is when young children are being pushed into transition. And you know, I appreciate you say I'm not a doctor, but there are, there are, um, from what I'm hearing, they're pushing more and more prepubescence, like where they where they, they they have the surgery or they start them before they reach puberty. And so, so, so my point is this: is if a child perhaps has, because we all know mental illness of any kind can distort different experiences and feelings and beliefs. That's a fact, right? So if a child has other things going on, and then they're, I'm just asking that question, and then they're being directed towards your solution is your transgender. I think we're missing a huge, a huge issue here. And that is how hard it is to access those health services. You have to see two psychiatrists. You have to get two psychiatrists to sign off before you can access trans health services. This is not, I come home one day and I say to my mom, I'm trans, and I go and have a gender-affirming surgery or, or start on to or, or start on to hormone replacement therapy. This is an incredibly long and difficult process. This is not something people turn around one day and say, Oh, I want to be trans and, and start and start treatment. In Saskatchewan, our, our students who identify as trans are waiting two to three years sometimes to see the, to get those two signatures. 
So I think that we're over we, we're overestimating how easy this is, and we're overestimating that students can just say, okay, or, or child can just say, okay, I'm trans. You have to see a family doctor. You have to choose two independent psychiatrists, and both of those independent psychiatrists have to sign off. And a lot of trans activists have a real issue with with this with the step because two independent psychiatrists have to have to evaluate you and say there's no other mental illness here and that is fundamentally important so it's not just that you flip a switch and start and what's happening is sometimes that it is so difficult to get access to this treatment people are going onto hormone replacement therapy outside of the medical system we lost in south africa three people in the last while because they could not get access to hormone replacement therapy safety so they got it on the black market so i think we shouldn't just we, we shouldn't underestimate how difficult it is to access this care and what the processes and what the steps are in place you are seeing so if there's something wrong with you they're gonna know it i have friends close friends whose daughter showed up at home at 18 and and informed them just when she turned 18 she was moving out she had been counseled behind their back while she was underage and she transitioned very quickly. She's on Medicaid and she has extreme psychiatric issues that they never did address. I'm just saying, so that actually does happen. That's happened right here in Saskatoon and I know the family. And so that was, that was a pretty shocking thing. And that's again, where parents aren't involved in the process. You're saying, you know, that they don't have access to healthcare, but there are things going on, you know, where there are, there are people that want to push it through faster. It doesn't sound like you're saying that, but it does sound like, like I know that there are people with agendas that are pushing things through faster than you might realize. And um, this family has been so broken apart because their, their daughter, which they knew had lots of issues before, she had actually had a head injury. She actually was coached on how to divorce her family. Her family aren't aggressive people. They're very loving and they would have helped her through this. But she literally made the announcement and had gone through the counseling and had already, she transitioned really quickly. And it wasn't two to three years for sure. And she was underage. So if they were already transitioning her, they would have been doing it behind the parents' back when she was underage. That wouldn't have even been, you know, to, in my opinion, where parents aren't involved. And that's another whole issue because parents don't always know what's going on. And, and again, it might be parents that have different values, but also the best interest of their child. If a parent knows something about their child or is aware of the health of their child and the parents are kept out of the loop, I mean, I'll give you an example. I have, again, I work a lot up north uh, with First Nation families, and I'm working with a lot of health districts up there. And one First Nation woman just told me she's on the Board of Education, and they said parents have no rights, and parents aren't allowed to intervene in these elementary schools. They're not allowed to have say. They're not allowed to, to sign off on stuff. And she said, did they know what they did to our children when they put us in residential schools and took us away from our parents without our parents' say? They did that then. And now she said, it's unbelievable because up north, the parents have no say, they don't even know what's going on. And so again, from your experience, you're saying it's not that easy, but from what I've also heard, it actually is, there's stuff going on behind the scenes. So maybe that's why we have to talk about this because it seems to be kind of either or, but there are real concrete cases of families that are really desperately broken and, um, and there are legitimate issues with their children and they have no more say. I, I think the protocols, um, as my colleague is saying, are in place, but they are not being um, utilized. And children are uh, being pushed through. 
and I mean, some of the children I've talked to, some of and the parents, um, it's been really radical. They end up going and just seeing um, a doctor once, and they are prescribed puberty blockers, and most of the time without their parents knowing. They're encouraged, younger children are encouraged without their parents knowing to socially transition. And so there's all this stuff happening um, behind the parents' back. And having uh, ongoing mental illness and disorders and the parents not notified and the child, um, they're more susceptible, they're vulnerable to the ideas of, oh, maybe I'm in the wrong body. That's my problem. And so we're, it's really true that they are being pushed through and more and more so. And I, I, that breaks my heart. Um, I don't think it should happen. And I don't think anyone really believes it should happen like that. And, you know, we're looking at numbers that went from about in 2006, the number of children who identified they didn't identify they had a disorder at that point in time it's just now gone to this uh identification of transgender but this exponential rise is really really um concerning and i believe that the trans movement actually is preying on vulnerable children and those who are wounded those who don't fit they have other issues going on as well and if you transition you're in and social media, Reddit platforms, all of those kind of things are right there encouraging the kids even to lie to their parents, say they're suicidal. And that's all part of what's happening. So I think there's more to this than possibly might be being acknowledged. When it comes down to children, whether it be sex education curriculum, we want to protect the children. We don't want to cause harm to one so the other one can feel accepted. We don't want to cause harm to the other one so the other one can be accepted. We don't want to exploit vulnerabilities um, and right away label it that way and diagnose it that way and ignoring perhaps if there is mental illness that that's not even being addressed, you know, at all. Uh, Dr. Gillies, like, I want to ask this question just in this way. When, you know, from your opinion, okay, so we're not, if we move past children, when somebody moves into adulthood, they're not even at that vulnerable age as children, because I think we can all agree that there needs, we need to protect the children and come up with some better solutions to support our trans community, to support, you know, like that would be, I'd want to see that. But are, are, we, are we labeling people still as it's mental illness? When you're talking though about mental illness, and then you have to look at the incongruence between, um, yes, I don't feel like I'm in the right body or there's something wrong with my body. And you, we need to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges. But take for a moment when you're thinking about uh, some mental illness issues that appearance disorders, psychologically, there's, all, there's different disorders that are appearance disorders, so to speak, eating disorders particularly, where someone, a, a young girl usually, you know, will believe certain things about herself that are totally untrue. And the same with um, body integrity um, disorder and um, the ide uh, identity disorder where they are uh, actually want to physically amputate a leg or a limb 
of some kind because they don't feel that limb belongs or they don't feel healthy with it. There's a lot of things that we need to look at from the side of mental illness. I know my colleague doesn't want to talk about that, but there's lots of things that create mental illness as well. And so some of those are biological, but many, many of those are, are uh, traumas that happened and that was my specialty, attachment disorders and sexual abuse. And there's so much more here that we have to slow everything down and really, really take a whole lot more into consideration. And just because uh, culture and society and um, even the World Health Organization, which is highly influenced by uh, LGBT uh, academics, even though they are saying this is no longer a mental disorder, what if it is? And what if we are just ignoring what's happening, even as adults? And you have adults who want to be a six-year-old now. Okay, you have to shake your head. You're 40 years old. You're not a six-year-old. We need to start telling the truth. I said before that telling the truth is loving and kind, and it is. And so we have to look at the big picture here and what's going on. An adult can do whatever they want to do. Um, that's certainly true. But that doesn't mean I have to agree with it or with their illusion or delusion that they could be a six-year-old in a 41-year-old body. I think let's get some common sense and think about this right through to where it is in completion. And when we come back to, again, the concept of the solution in schools when we have children and how do we respect children? How do we respect and, and provide um, support to children that might be struggling um, with how they're feeling and what they're, you know, as Dr. Hort says, what they feel, you know, this is what I know. How do we do that? How do we do that in such a way that doesn't bring confusion to other children? How do we be, be careful to protect uh, and not exploit people? How, you know, there's there's all this. How do we, you know, you're saying slow it down um, just enough to make sure everybody's okay, you know, regardless of what people believe, whether somebody says this is right or wrong. Because you know, you know, I think in adulthood, there's, to me, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. But I'm thinking there's you, 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 you do what you want to do in life, and it has nothing to do with, you know, somebody else shouldn't be able to tell you what you can do or cannot do as an adult, and you should respect differences. Um, the whole point is, this is moving into where children are changing their bodies, and they're hating themselves, and there's, so, so it does have a consequence that's a little bit more serious, and, and, you know, to slow it down enough to have the conversation, and to really really protect the best interests of the child, no matter what. And, uh, you know, I ask you, I'd, I'd ask for a copy of the sex ed curriculum, which none of us actually have. Um, the only ones I was able to find online were ones from Britain and France and, um, and some of the US. And actually, you know, those were really about tolerance. So I, I haven't actually seen a curriculum that is pushing as too fast or too far. Of course, there are people who, who are doing that, but I haven't seen it and we haven't had access to the curriculum here, so we don't know what is actually being taught um, in, in class. So should we slow it down? I don't know because I don't know what is being taught. What I do know is it will it is devastating to not be recognized. And I want to say two things. One is, you know, part of the rise in numbers is also about the increase of social acceptance. We have always had trans people in the community. Trans people have ended up married with children because they couldn't be who they were. 
So the fact that we have got a category of people who were previously highly stigmatized, couldn't get access to, to medical care, um, who were a cohort who grew up with, it was absolutely taboo to talk about this, where it's not anymore. That makes a big difference. That makes a huge difference. And so, you know, people are coming out and are able to actually talk about it, which makes a huge difference. Of course, the trans community, the queer community is very broad and I speak for a, for only a group of people who I know. I don't know a single trans person, people who I know, um, who, who I actually speak to, who would who think that being trans is easy or is glamorous or is something that you should do. Maybe there are those people. It is a hard life. People are being killed. People are being murdered because they're trans. They've been beaten up in bathrooms. I don't know people who would say, come, let's all be trans together. This is a very, very hard life. The gender dysphoria that you feel, the way hating your body every time you look at yourself, knowing every time you look at yourself, having to perform a role every single day, it's not an easy life. It's incredibly difficult. And a, a friend of mine who was able to transition in, in her 40s finally says for the first time now she is for the first time she can actually start to live her life because she lived with such a, a sense of of dread every time she looked at the mirror she called it a monster looking back at her because of how she felt and so i think that we should be very very careful when we talk about it being something that is that people are you know just picking up one day and saying okay i'm I, i'm trans for, for people who are trans it is an incredibly difficult life an incredibly dangerous life and i think that we need to i think that we need to realize that and for those people who are stuck in that body no we shouldn't slow anything down should we make sure that they're okay should we give them access to all the resources they need should there be psychologists involved absolutely but should we tell them that they have to wait another year or two or three when they've lived like this all their lives i i, I think it's cruel and i think and and i think it's we've seen We've seen suicide rates amongst um, queer queer people who ca cannot get gender affirming surgery increase. We've seen all sorts of issues. And so, do I think we should protect everybody, queer and non queer? Absolutely. Do I think that we should tell people that they have to wait when just when society is just starting to open its doors? No. I think that's even more dangerous. This is good. I don't know about you guys, but what I so appreciate, like we were able to to flush things out, you know, talk about things openly. Again, our audience is having the opportunity to be able to hear both sides and to be able to, because that's what people are thinking. You know, people are thinking both ways. They don't they don't understand everything. And and I mean, you just you know, you poured out your heart here, Dr. Horowitz, too. You know, you're saying it's it's not an easy life, and somebody isn't pushing to have a hard life. They're not trying to do this. It, what the things they have to overcome is quite significant and to 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 make it harder for them um, and not give them access is, is is actually cruel as you're mentioning it and and you know i think that we would all agree there's compassion and and I, i'm hearing actually from both of you you know when we say slow it down again that would have to be explored later what does that look like is it going to cause more harm and be cruel or is it going to be more thorough but 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 i think i'm hearing that we're you know there's an agreement here that you know, um, we have to look out for the interests of the children. We have to be thorough. We have to protect both sides. We have to have compassion and understand how hard things are and, and not just label somebody and reject, you know, reject them that way. But we need to look at, you know, all of it together and not I'm against you, but it's us together and trying to understand what's taking place.